As British Columbians uh, head home on this very busy Monday, uh, it would have been a little harder for them this uh, morning to get information. The BC Ferries website, app, and phone system uh, were down this morning. We are told as of 3 p.m. today, so just over an hour ago, the website and mobile app are up. Uh, here's Deborah Marshall uh, speaking to us earlier today in regards to some of the challenges they were dealing with. Obviously, because we have an issue with the website, customers aren't able to make a booking. Having said that, most of the bookings have already been fully subscribed as it is Monday of the long weekend. So another busy weekend, another busy summer expected for BC Ferries. A Crown Corporation we like to complain about. We also like to uh, brag about as well. It is a, whatever uh, ferry route you're on, it is a fabulous uh, ride through amazing, amazing, uh, just pristine uh, scenery. And of course, anytime you have visitors coming, uh, visiting us in Vancouver, Victoria, we do try to recommend folks take the ferry and visit uh, uh, either side. And uh, it's one of the highlights for a lot of folks as well. Joining me now is Richard Zussman, Global BC's legislative reporter. He spent some time talking to the CEO of BC Ferries last week. Uh, it is a Crown Corporation, as, as I say, that uh, we like to complain about, but also we feel very much uh, is a part of uh, our culture here in British Columbia. Richard, thank you for joining us. Yeah, and that's one of the challenges Nick Hemmen as the new CEO has, Jazz, is how important it is to people. And he is very much aware of that coming into this job. Yeah, I mean, we do take ownership of BC Ferries. It's, you know, it's easy to complain about government agencies, but when you talk about BC Ferries, and yes, we do complain about it, but we're proud of it as well. It's uh, from the distinction, distinctive horn to the sunshine breakfast, whatever it may be, everybody's got an opinion uh, on, on BC Ferries. So let's let's start with a broader snap uh, snapshot just for a second. Where is BC Ferries today? And I don't know how you want to describe the, uh, describe yeah. it to us, whether it be on the fiscal side, whether it be uh, a new board. Where does BC Ferries sit right now in regards to its fiscal health and as an organization broadly? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge facing the organization right now is a growing population in the province and a changing population in the province, largely due to the pandemic. We've seen more people move to BC and we've seen more people move around the province. And people are living in areas that at times may have been considered more remote. There are people who are living on the island who work in Vancouver, who are living in coastal communities, uh, and they are now going to be relying on the ferries when they need to go into the office because they're also allowed to work remotely for large periods of time. And this is fundamentally going to change the way that ferries offers its service. So uh, a changing world has led to changes at BC Ferries. Uh, in terms of the financial situation at Ferries, it, it continues to be relatively healthy, but they needed, the only reason it's healthy is they needed a massive boost from the province. And, and with that surplus money that the David Eby government had, they put it into Ferries so that rates would not go up for people. Mm. Uh, so there are challenges ahead. And, and Nicholas Jimenez came to Ferries from ICBC. The big reason why is because of Joy McPhail. Uh, she was the board chair at ICBC when ICBC moved to no-fault insurance. Nick Jimenez led ICBC through that change. McPhail then went on to become the board chair at BC Ferries. She's a bit of a problem solver for this government. They can rely on her. She's one of the few in the NDP stable in terms of you know former ministers uh, that they can count on to get jobs done. And so she did the job at ICBC to satisfaction, and now she's working on the new problem child, which is ferries, in a sense that 
We've seen these cancellations due to staffing shortages, mm-hmm. and we see this really challenging situation I described in terms of just the way that the service is delivered. And Nicholas Jimenez is the one the government hopes can, can solve those problems. So before we get into the service itself, the board, the way that it was set up under the B.C. Liberals, the ferries was supposed to operate at an arm's length from government, meaning it can make some controversial um, policy decisions in regards to where the ferry service needs to go, and they would, there wouldn't be the usual meddling from elected officials, which has been part of the challenge with BC ferries for for decades. And they row, and under the Liberals, they did raise ticket prices for some of the more smaller routes. Where do you see uh, things headed now with, one would argue, under Ms. McPhail and a board, some would argue, or could argue that, look, these folks are going to be a bit more political and that that arm's length relationship that's been there for a while now perhaps is a lot closer between government and, and ferries. Yeah, these are. this is always a, a challenge. And ICBC was similar. Lotteries is at times similar. The reality is that these are arm's length from government, but the public ultimately perceives them as being government. And that is hard for politicians, because uh, if you're not going to um, influence decision-making but are going to be held accountable for it, you wonder, well, what if I were uh, to take a larger role here? So uh, I expect that we will see, um, you know, the board and Joy McPhail be shrewd around the political challenges here, but Nick Jimenez... Uh, will work at arm's length from government. But it's important. It's important as we tackle these challenges around staffing and around the way people move around the province, ensuring that service delivery is there that's reliable, that does not have cancellations, that does not have skyrocketing prices, that, that is modern. All of that is important for people, and it should be important to politicians as well. So I, I think there there's distance there, sure, but I think that you know, because the public perceives it as being a government service, uh, Joy McPhail's role is, is pretty um, apt in this situation. Uh, in regards to service for a second, we could talk about the roots uh, in a moment, but uh, I think it was on your story on, on Friday's news hour. Uh, the, the buffet is gone. <laughs> yeah, so they haven't announced it officially yet, but Nick Jimenez has done a handful of these interviews, and every interview. It gets closer and closer to him saying straight up the buffet's over. But what what he said to me was they need to reimagine what that space looks like, that buffets in the modern era uh, post-COVID aren't working. The only places they see buffets having any success are all-inclusives uh, and uh, uh, Las Vegas and um, on cruise ships. Anywhere else, buffets are basically a thing of the past. They waste a lot of food. And the staggering thing to me, Jazz, hmm. is he said that to run the buffet, it takes... 80 staff just to run the buffets. And those are staff that could be used to ensure that the vessels run on time and that the other service is delivered. And those, for those who have enjoyed the buffet on the ferries, you know it's in the best place in the boat. And I think uh, they're looking at those vessels and saying we can do other things to provide uh, greater service. So they haven't announced what comes next, but it's very clear to me that the times at the buffet are over. The other two service things that were interesting to me in the interview I did with Nick Jimenez, one, they're thinking about expand, continually expanding this Pets on Board uh, pilot project. So yep. they've now expanded to some routes. My guess would be at some point, maybe or even as early as the summer, and that's just speculation on my point, it will be on the Swartz Bay to Tawasson Run, the main run between Vancouver and Victoria. Uh, this has been a successful pilot. It allows people to bring their pets up to the outdoor decks rather than stay down below. 
Uh, and the other one is on those dreaded car alarms. You know, this is one of those <laughs> oh, yeah. things. Anyone who's been on the ferry, you hear those alarms, and it drives the pets crazy. It drives anyone down there crazy. And so this year, for the first time, they will be handing out specific information. There are We all know them. There's a handful of vehicles, F-150s, BMWs, Audis, that always go off on the ferry. They have manuals printed out for those car designs, and they will give them to the driver and say, your car is one that likely could have an alarm go off. Here's some information on how to turn off your alarm. It would be very helpful if you did. I so t- they're, you know, Nick Jimenez is tackling those real things that matter to people, John. <laughs> well, I could tell you, as a former MLA who used to take the ferry on a regular basis and sometimes would, would just stay in the vehicle to work, and those, I hated those BMWs so much because alarms would just be constant. You could, you, could set, you could set your alarm to it just every single time. So if they can at least deal with that issue, I think that would be um, uh, very helpful. We are speaking to Richard Zussman, Global BC's legislative reporter. Uh, We were talking initially about BC Ferries uh, challenges today as their website and app crashed. Uh, It appears to be up as of 3 o'clock this afternoon. Keep it locked uh, to uh, CKNW for our news and, of course, our traffic to get the latest when it comes to BC Ferries. But uh, Richard and I were talking a little bit about the present and future for BC Ferries uh, in regards to how you modernize the system, especially under its new CEO, Nicholas Jimenez. Uh, Richard, um, one of the things you said in, in the first segment uh, was the fact that uh, you talked a little bit about a growing population. I recall going to Qualicum Beach uh, last year for vacation and uh, traveling through Nanaimo. And I hadn't been to Nanaimo in a couple of years, but I was just amazed at the, how much growth I saw uh, in that community. And there's many other communities as you head up island, the significant amount of people retiring to Vancouver Island, whether it's from BC or from Alberta and many other places, and just the natural growth that comes from it. I mean, uh, uh, when I look at, when I see that growth, I, I just sort of think, I'm not sure how you stay up as a ferry system without significant investment from government and building more vessels. And that's just a huge capital expenditure. Yeah, I asked Nick Jimenez directly about the new vessel question, and that's exactly what he said to me, what you just said. Those are hugely significant capital investments. They Mm -hmm. take long-term planning and are huge upfront costs. So the focus here is on more efficiency in terms of service delivery on current routes. But if we have pressure points like we've never seen before, uh, it is going to be challenging. That's why... Uh, there is a new renewed reliance upon technology. And, you know, it's unfortunate that things have gone down today. Uh, It just shows how important the ferries are for people. Uh, But uh, it's about relying on that long term. The app is a big part of that. And Jimenez also spoke to a more seamless um, service being provided, that when you arrive at the terminal, be it by vehicle or walk-on, there may no longer be kiosks you may be directed to a certain area through the app and then tap yourself in to get into that area. And they believe that that sort of service delivery could make things more efficient. Hmm. Uh, The more data BC Ferries has about the way that people are moving, when they're moving, how they're traveling, can allow them to better target. But the reality is the vessels have capacity. Uh, Once you get to that capacity, there's no more, and you lead to days like today where I was just looking at it and the website is back up and running. But if you're heading back from Vancouver Island to, to Vancouver today, uh, it is going to be a slog. If you don't have a reservation, there is a multiple sailing wait 
particularly in between Swartz Bay and Sawasin. And, and those pressure points are hard. But, you know, long weekends aside, Jimenez is focused in on the day-to-day service delivery and, and facing that challenge that you spoke to, which is more people are living on the island, uh, more people are living in, in areas that are, you know, Sunshine Coast that, that need reliance upon ferries and figuring out how those people expect to move, not just for social activities, but to get to doctor's appointments, to visit family, to have access to services that they need. How can uh, BC Ferries use that information to better ensure that, that they get reliable, consistent services based on the fact that there's a global mariner staffing shortage? <laughs> and, 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 and that's something that BC can't solve finding the right people to, occup- to to work these boats, to operate the vessels, uh, to work for BC Ferries, all of that just compounds the problem. I, my understanding is they continue to work with the um, federal government to get internationally trained mariners to come into the country, and, and that could help offset uh, some of the big challenges. But so the hiring challenge with COVID, never mind just mariners, even casual staff, it still rem- rem- remains an issue. It does. Uh, Jimenez promised to the commuters, the users of BC Ferries, that this will be a better summer than last, that we won't see the same types of cancellations we saw last year. But there's no guarantee it won't happen. So their, their staffing issues are getting better. They are, they are back up to staffing levels. But we're seeing ridership levels above pre-COVID levels. So they need to have staffing above that point too. And and the ferry the, the buffet comes into that. The reason the buffet likely will not continue is because of that idea that staff need to be used in other places. So yes, there are still challenges, but they've largely got a grip on, on the big staffing issues. Uh, I, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. It reminds me of whenever ferries used to get uh, in trouble during my reporting days, uh, we'd always have to call Pat McGear, the former social credit cabinet minister, and he still had the model of a bridge from the Lower Mainland to Victoria or to Vancouver Island. And every time Ferries was in trouble, we'd always have to go and look at the model. <laughs> and I've often wondered what it would cost uh, for a bridge from the mainland uh, to Vancouver Island, number one. Then never mind the challenges of actually uh, trying to build a bridge where you may have to hopscotch over some Gulf Islands, which you could imagine the protests and environmental questions being asked about that. But I've often wondered what a bridge to uh, Vancouver Island would cost today. It must be about 18 to $20 billion, I'm sure. So for those that are interested, buried in the BC Ferries website, which is now back online today, uh-huh. there is a report that was submitted to government, I think in 2008 or nine, mm-hmm. that had an assessment done on how much it would cost and what it would look like. And I think, again, this is based on memory. At the time, yeah. 15 years ago, the price tag was $8 billion okay. at bare bones. And a realization that there are points in that waterway that are far too deep to uh, put anything down. So it would have to be a floating apparatus. There are challenges with moving vessels through that corridor. Mm-hmm. And they could not figure out that. And then the idea that someone would get stuck, if their car broke down halfway between Victoria and Vancouver, how they could possibly get them, they were all challenges that were insurmountable. My thought always was, if there was any premier that was going to build a bridge between Vancouver Island and Vancouver, it was going to be John Horgan, and he was not at all interested. So (laughs) it's online. If you're interested in it, you can go read that report. The conversations have been had. The costs are astronomical, but, guys, it's far more complicated than costs. I I think about it a lot. I would love to be able to shoot over, you know, hour-long drive from here to Metro Vancouver, get to see the Canucks play, head back that night, 
you know, after 9 p.m. after the series are done. But I think my dream is never going to become a reality. Yeah, remember, remember that's the estimate. You know, when between estimates and reality, we see that with pipelines already. <laughs> they double easily, So, or even the Site C. So that $8 billion could easily be $20 billion, uh, today, oh, and that's for sure. Years ago. So I think 20, 30, 40 billion, you name the number. And, and, I, and I just don't even know if they have the real technology. It would be the largest span of its kind in the world. And I'm not sure it's an investment any government's going to make. No, absolutely not. Richard, thank you. But it's fun to dream. It's fun to dream. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. And I can always take a ferry over to visit you. So. There All you right, go. Thanks, You're welcome anytime. <laughs> All right. That is Richard Zussman, Global VC's legislative reporter.